0: From creation, to the flood, to the patriarchs, to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. Because we are going back to Genesis, and uh, it's going to be a short week, but it's going to be a great week, and if you'll remember, we left off in Genesis in chapter 3, Adam and Eve uh, ate from the tree, and then God, uh, they, they hid from God. God found them, because God finds everybody, right? God, you cannot hide from God. He is everywhere, omnipresent. And then he asked man, what is it that you're doing? And man pointed his finger at the woman. Well, the woman that you gave me, she made me eat. Uh, so he pointed to the woman and he said, well, what did, where did, you, what did you do? And, he, and the woman said, well, it was this serpent that, that made me eat. And so everybody's pointing the finger. Everybody's a blame game, but they're all guilty. Adam's guilty. Eve's guilty and the serpent is guilty. And so now we pick up the story because God now has some punishments for these infractions of eating the, from the tree of life. And and we'll talk more about whether or not they're actual punishments or not, but we are going to delve into this now this morning. We're gonna, uh, so yeah, I might as well go back and read just what happened. Uh, And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? And the man said, well, the woman you put me here with, she gave it to me and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you've done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So that's kind of where we left off last time we were in Genesis. So now uh, we're gonna continue on and see what happens after this. So verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals, and you will crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So now we have the first curse. There's three curses here. And the first curse goes to the serpent, the serpent, and um so now we have this vision of why he's called the serpent right it's the um the nahash in hebrew this uh, this serpent this uh, snake nahash is one of those onomatopoeia words where the word sounds like the the thing itself and like snake right you have that hissing sound and nahash it sounds like that hissing sound so uh but we always kind of identify this serpent as a snake, but um, when we think a snake, we normally think of what the rattlesnake, because we live here in the in the Arizona desert, and the not, rattlesnakes are everywhere. And we see the rattlesnake, and we want to kill the rattlesnake, um, but it is not a rattlesnake. The serpent was not any of the snakes that we see today, uh, and we I know we have a picture of of the serpent as a snake in the apple tree and and Eve talking to the snake. And we get this picture all throughout history uh, from medieval art and and even on. But I find it hard to believe that Eve would be talking to this little tiny snake. First of all, uh, cursed are you above all animals, you'll crawl on your belly. So I wonder, I mean, it doesn't say for sure, but I wonder if the snake had arms and legs before it was cursed and then God took off the arms and legs. I mean, it's kind of a horrid thing for God to do, but he's very angry at the snake, right? So um, we were watching, eh, I don't wanna go there, but uh, can you imagine having arms and legs uh, like a serpent and then not having the arms and legs? Um, but I wonder if it was larger. I wonder if this serpent was more like a lizard or a large lizard, a kimono dragon. Um, I've even wondered, Throughout history, if the serpent was a species of animal that was maybe more like a dragon, right? That um, that was more serpent-like in appearance but had arms and legs. I know it's kind of crazy to think of the serpent as a dragon. But it, it had to have been large enough to command the respect of Eve. And he had to have been lounging around and talking to Eve and maybe even walking to Eve or coming up to Eve and... Uh, Maybe an maybe Adam and Eve had seen this serpent all the time. Of course, the serpent talks, <laughs> okay? Um, Got to wonder if all the animals talked at one point, but at least the serpent talked because he had to communicate to Eve, right? So I wonder if it was a talking dragon uh, that was in the garden. We don't know, of course. Animals um, don't talk now. And uh, certainly the serpent, if he's around, he's certainly hiding himself very well. Uh, but the serpent uh, is an animal that that at one point probably had arms and legs, and now he's cursed to live on the ground. And now he's a serpent, uh, and and it truly is a curse to to basically not be one walking on the ground, or to be one that was originally walking on the ground, and now you're and now you have to crawl on the dust of the ground all the days of your life. Um, and uh, so that'll be interesting, you know, to find out in heaven what exactly the serpent was and what he looked like and what he said and get more information than out of here in Genesis. Because in Genesis, we don't have a whole lot of information. So yeah, let's leave that for now. And, and then we'll go back to uh, to verse 15, where God says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. So. Uh, could be that it is a you know that it is a snake, but um, we don't know. And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heels. So now we have this vision, this promise. Uh, everybody in Christianity sees this as a promise from God. Uh, first of all, there's enmity between the serpent and the serpent kind, between his offspring and our offspring. So there's always a enmity between the serpent and us, but but he will crush your head and you will strike his heel is the promise of God, that we believe as Christians of Christianity, that even here in the Garden of Eden, that God promises that he will send a Messiah that will redeem mankind and the Messiah will crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent will strike back, right? Strike, and, and hit the heel, uh, and cause, inflict some damage, but, but ultimately, uh, metaphorically speaking, that, 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 Jesus will crush the head of the serpent, so I don't know if you remember, there was this, uh, movie called The Passion of the Christ that came out maybe about 15 years ago, I don't know if you remember that movie, uh, it's a Mel Gibson movie, and it was, I think, wasn't it in Latin, um, I know Mel Gibson is one of those um, Catholics that still likes to worship in the Tridentine Latin Mass. So I think he speaks or loves Latin or something like that. But if, anyway, I think he decided when he did the Passion of the Christ, I could be completely wrong, I'm misrepresenting this, so I apologize. But if something tells me that the Passion of the Christ, I saw it 15 years ago, I think it was in Latin. But that's that's neither here nor there. The important point of the movie is that when Jesus is in the Garden of Eden, and uh, he is sweating drops of blood because he's about to be crucified, a snake comes up to Jesus. And uh, so this is representation of, the, of you know, the serpent, or maybe it is even the devil himself, right? The Satan, the Hanahash himself. Uh, and Jesus crushes his head. And uh, there's this sound of the crushing of the snake. And that is the point at which Jesus conquers uh, the snake. And that's basically a reference back here to uh, Genesis 3.15 where he says he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So the first curse here is that of between God and man and the serpent. So the serpent is banished forever. He's no longer able to talk to Eve or Adam or anybody else uh, that we know of, right? And uh, he's he's basically now crawling on the ground on all the days of his life. So that's the first curse is Genesis 3:14 through 15. That's the curse to the serpent. But then there's another curse and the curse, the next curse then goes to the woman and it goes like this. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So now uh, God is talking to Eve and he says, first of all, two curses here. The first one is that you have pains in childbearing, very severe. You'll have painful labor as you give birth to children. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but it appears that mankind does have a more painful labor uh, than any of the other animal kingdom, right? If you go to... uh, If you watch any other animals give birth, whether it's dogs or cats, or maybe if you've seen the Discovery Channel or some of these nature shows on TV and watched as they give birth, it does not appear to be as severe as mankind when woman gives birth. That's for sure. Uh, I was there at the birth of all my children. Uh, I was blessed to do that. My daughter is about ready to give birth to my second grandchild in Chicago. She is now, man, what is she? She is about um, 16 weeks pregnant, I think. Maybe even uh, yesterday was 16 weeks. I think maybe even getting closer. June 19th is the due date. Anyway, so uh, she's about to give, ready to give birth and I have no idea uh, if my son-in-law is gonna be allowed into the room. At this point, it looks like he might be able to be allowed into the room, but we don't know. Depends on how the outbreaks are and where you know where Chicago is going to be in three or four weeks. But uh, I was there at the birth for all my children, and yeah, it's it's pretty painful. Uh, it is not easy for a woman to give birth. Now today we do have drugs, right? We have aspirin. Uh, we have this incredible you know needle that's about that big that goes into your epidural space uh, in your spine, and they give you what's called an epidural which allows you to be able to move your muscles but not feel your muscles so you can actually give childbirth but not feel the pain of childbirth. And uh, when when the doctor pulled out that needle and I saw it, I fainted because <laughs> I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, I, well, I got lightheaded and I had to sit down for that part and the doctors and nurses all laughed at me because, you know, that's what husbands do, I guess. But... Uh, but for the first child, for Kyrie, uh, their epidural, we didn't have an epidural, so it was just aspirin, and yeah, it's a pretty painful thing. It's definitely a very, very painful experience for women to go to childbirth, uh, and we do have a lot of drugs that reduce that pain, but uh, even then, it's still, it's still uh, in pains and childbearing, so... According to Genesis, the reason why there's pains of childbearing is because of this curse of God to woman. Uh, Unlike all of the other animals in the animal kingdom that just seem to plop it out, no big deal. uh, For mankind, there is pain in childbirth. But then uh, God goes on. Now, these two next ones are really interesting. He says, your desire will be for your husband and you know i'm sitting here thinking i kind of like the fact that my wife desires me <laughs> okay <laughs> i mean i don't know if she desires me but i mean that women desire men i am really i um that doesn't bother me at all that women desire me i mean i desire women they should be you know they de- i desire one woman okay i should be very clear on that uh but i uh, i'm kind of happy that uh, that women desire me so i wonder What was it like before the fall? Did the woman not desire the man? Um, That's kind of interesting, but uh, I don't understand that one. But the next one I do, he will rule over you. That one for sure I understand. And basically this means that as man and woman come together and form a couple, if you go back to Genesis, right, this is in the garden and it's because of the fall of mankind um, right, because before the, the man apparently didn't rule over woman. but now that uh, we have, our, we're in a fallen condition at this point. Uh, we're in a we're in a non you know we're in a we're in a point where we've eaten from the tree of of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, we can no longer eat from the tree of life, and so now we are in this what they call the fallen condition of man, which means that we are in a post perfection or post you know as God created a state uh, now mankind rules over women. And, uh, this is, uh, this is something that, you know, today we don't talk about very much because it's not politically correct. Uh, we don't talk about it very much because a lot of women get very upset about this. Uh, a lot of men get upset about it too. Uh, and, um, and, uh, we're not gonna go into you know, all the politics of all that, but I'm gonna talk about Genesis, where it is basically that a man rules over a woman, according to the book of Genesis, because we're in a fallen condition. Now, can we, can we mitigate against that? I mean, we mitigate against childbirth. We can see what the curse against man, we mitigate some of that stuff also. Can we mitigate that man rules over women? And this, you know possibly we can. Uh, but if you are Jewish, uh, and you follow scripture, right? You follow this Old Testament very, very closely. Remember that the, the Jewish faith uh, is bound by the Old Testament. You know, we have been freed by Christ. We are no longer bound by the Old Testament. Uh, we have complete grace, it, but because of that free grace, we want to please God. And so we go back into the Old Testament and see, you know, ways that That uh, we can please God and we also will get, you know, if we ever get to Exodus, we'll get the Ten Commandments. But I believe, you know, as I read the Ten Commandments, those are more of a handbook for us for how to live our life. Uh, Because if you follow the Ten Commandments, your life goes very, very well. But this one interesting, he will rule over, over you. So if you're Jewish, then basically the man in the Jewish faith is the head of the household. And as the head of the household, the man rules over the wife and the man rules over the family. If, the, if there are any servants in the household, the man rules over the servant. And so the man is kind of like the king of his compound, if you will. And as the king of his compound, what he says goes. And this gives an incredible amount of authority to the man in the household. Uh, because as the man of the household, if he wants to do X, Y, or Z. He says, I want to do X, Y, or Z. And we do X, Y, or Z in the household. You do not go against the, the head of the household. And that is very much, if you know anybody that strictly follow that's Jewish, that follows the Jewish faith, this is the way that they operate. As a matter of fact, in the synagogue, uh, the the man is the one being taught in the synagogue. Now, I must admit that this is highly efficient because if only the man goes to synagogue then the synagogue doesn't have to house you know all the families right the man goes into synagogue with all the other men in the village they all go to synagogue and they read torah together and they recite torah together they do worship together as men in the synagogue and this is this is how the Jewish faith is set up right and it all comes back here from Genesis uh, chapter, chapter 3, verse 16. The man goes to synagogue. The man studies Torah with other men. They, they, you know, they study it. They research it. They, and they put it. But then the man, as the head of the household, then, in the Jewish faith, goes back to his compound, goes back to his family. And now he is the one leading the family through Torah, leading the family through reading scripture and understanding what that means. And so, uh, the, and, and I say it's highly efficient because it really is a pretty interesting system to have the men go and get the training and then they come back and lead their family through the same training. And so everybody gets trained, but you have to have a head of household. That's the key, right? You have to have a head of household. And in the Jewish faith, the head of household has to be a male. So now, think about what that means if you're in a family and uh, all of a sudden your husband dies. You no longer have a head of household that can go to the synagogue and learn Torah. Now, if you've got an older son that's still alive and still part of your household, you could send that son. Uh, If you have a younger son, I mean, as long as you've got boys in that, in that community, in your household, in your oikos, as it turned out to be in Greek, if you have in the oikos, you can send males into the synagogue to get training in Torah. You know, those that have been bar mitzvahed, you know, they, can, they can get training in Torah, and then they can come home and share that to the household. But if you have no sons, uh, if your husband dies and you have no sons, you are completely cut off from learning Torah. Now you can recite prayers that you may have learned. You can do all those sort of things, but you're all the festivals that you celebrate at home, like Passover, uh, Yom Kippur, whatever. All the all the festivals that you celebrate, you can no longer have those festivals if there isn't a male person in your community, you know, in your household, and so. If, uh, if there was somebody that, that cared for you or loved you, they might let you, you know, another man might let you come into their household. And in the Jewish faith, you will see in the Old Testament that oftentimes if the husband died, that whole family would come then join into the husband's brother's family and he would be the head of the household and the household would get expanded and they would figure that out. But it all comes back here to Genesis. Because in Genesis, if you don't have a head of household, you're kind of messed up. And uh, this, your desire will be for your husband. He will rule all over you. So that's a curse that we have uh, from Genesis, from from God to woman, that mankind is over, you know, that the man is over the woman. Now, we as Christians, um, Many, many uh, Christian households are set up this way, where the man is the head of the household. he leads the household in prayer. There's certainly nothing wrong with that because you know it's the way we've kind of done it for thousands and thousands of years. And uh, but we've we've grown in the Christian faith where we have the men go to church and the women go to church and the children go to church, and everybody's kind of learning from the pastor or the priest, which is kind of different than it was in the Old Testament. So things are changing that way. And um, certainly we are no longer bound by the Old Testament law because we have freedom in Christ. So there's there's a lot of different changes that have happened over time. And uh, now you can actually have a woman who can get connected to Torah and, and God and, and uh, the teachings uh, through things like this technology we have this morning, which is through video. So you can you can hear God's word and study God's word and digest God's word today through video and you don't have to have a head of household. Um, as a matter of fact, in a lot of communities today and a lot of households today, there isn't a, a guy. And so women often will step up to be the head of household and make sure that the children you know, are fed and clothed and then also fed with God's word and all those sort of things. And, so, and we have the ability to do that because we have so much more technology today than we had back then. But back then, if you couldn't afford as a household to send everybody to the synagogue, first of all, the synagogue would be huge. Um, But secondly, uh, imagine about how much time, you know, I I saw just one more thing. Um, when, When was the washing machine invented? It was like 100 years ago or something like that. It was the greatest invention that freed up a woman. Apparently, The majority of a woman's time was spent cooking and cleaning and uh, doing the laundry. Apparently, the laundry was huge back 150 years ago. It took a woman, if she wanted to do the laundry of all the clothes of all the people in that household, it took hours and hours and hours and hours because they didn't have a washing machine back then. So it was all hand scrubbing in a tub. Uh, or some sort of device like that, uh, we no longer have this separation of how this all works in the family. We now have a washing machine. We now have a stove. We now have a microwave oven. The thing that a hundred—I mean, the things that women used to do 150 years ago, just to keep the household running and and all the chores of all the children, all that to keep the household running, was immense 150 years ago. We are so blessed now that the chores that used to take all the day, hours of the day every day of the week except maybe one day of the week, all that stuff can now be done electronically and with, uh, with machines and machinery and all that stuff, even preparing the food. I mean, you used to have to go out and chop the head off a of chicken, boil water, pull all the chicken feathers off, cut out its guts and innards, chop up the chicken and put it in the wood-burning stove to make you know, make a dinner like that. And now I can go to Safeway and stand in line for 30 seconds and have all that given to me and, and come home and have a wonderful dinner that tastes just as good, maybe even better than what they had you know 150 years ago. Anyway, we live in a very, very blessed world. and our world has changed. And so um, the separation of powers you know between men and women also changes somewhat because we now have a whole lot more free time on our hands that we never had before, which is a good thing because now uh, we are able to do so much more. It's, it's like the snowball effect. Have you ever seen a snowball? It starts out and rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls and gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then you can't stop it. And we are in the snowball effect of our society that the, we have seen more change in the last 50 years than the world saw in the previous 10,000 years, okay? Uh, It is amazing how rapidly our world is changing and the snowball is getting bigger and bigger. I wonder uh, what it's going to look like when I'm 75 or whatever. It'll be just so fascinating. Change in our society is happening at monumental paces, which uh, is good for mankind because I'd like to see the coronavirus discovery happen at a monumental pace. So... um. Let us see. It is 830. I could go to what the next one is, is the cursed Adam. Um, Yeah, I'll go ahead and read it, and then we'll just see where it goes. Verse 17, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. So now we have the curse to, to Adam. And a lot of these curses apply to women too. Cursed is the ground because through painful... you. So now, apparently, in the Garden of Eden, there were no thistles. There was plenty of food. There was plenty of variety of food in the ground. Uh, I mean, in the in the garden, you could eat uh, all the protein you needed, all the carbohydrates you needed, all the fat from nuts. Everything you needed was in the Garden of Eden. Now you have to painfully toil in the ground to get the food you need, and it now produces thorns and thistles. Uh, so when you produce a garden here, you know, and this is this is representative from gardening is tough now, right? I just. Planted some grapes. I've got grapes. I love grapes. Um, and I and I kill grapes. Just so you know. I mean, I love to watch them. I love to plant them, and then I kill them. <laughs> so, but I'm really, really trying this hard this season to make my grapes work really, really well. So every morning I'm going and checking my grapes for these little caterpillars, and I keep finding these caterpillars on my grapes, and I have to pick off these caterpillars. And some sometimes there are like a nest of about ten of them on a leaf, and I'll take the whole leaf off, uh, which doesn't really hurt the the grapevine but gets rid of all those nasty caterpillars. Cause they, you know, 10 caterpillars will destroy a whole entire grapevine in about one night. So you gotta get rid of these guys. So, um, and that's because of this fall. And we have thorns we have thistles and it's hard and planting is hard now. We have developed technology now for mankind too, to make this a lot easier. The toil is not as great as it was. Um, and we don't sweat off of our brow and you know, to, in order to get food. But for some reason, we sweat off of our brow. I mean, all we ever needed in life was food and shelter and companionship love. That's all we need. And you would think with all the modern technology that we have in the world today, all the machinery and everything, that life would be so simple now that we would was it, um, who was the economist, uh, the great economist from the 30s? Uh, oh, shoot, you know, I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, um, the economist, you know, one of the fathers of economy from the, from the 1930s. Uh, he, I it starts with an M. Um, he, uh, he said that, you know, in 50 years, people would only work one half of a day a week. And we everything would be, uh, you know, we would have, mankind would would advance so far that we would only have to, Work four hours a week, and that would be it. Um, But the fact is, is that technology keeps increasing, and the things that we want and that we desire increase. And so we work hard, and because we want those things, and we work hard, and we work hard. And and now I believe that, um, you know, I'm not entirely sure we'll ever, uh, you know, not be able to work the sweat of our brow to have. Unless you, you know, unless we as people just say, you know, we don't need all that. We don't need cards. We don't need phones. We don't need computers. You know, all we need is food. And you know, if we ever go back to that time, that simple time. But then, you know, you're you're back to no technology. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see in what it's going to look like in 25 years. But uh, so now we sweat off of our brow, uh, and then of course the last one is from dust you were taken and dust you will return. So uh, when we do Ash Wednesday, and I put the ashes on your head. Uh, I say from dust you were taken and dust you shall return. It's right here from Genesis 3.19. Um, when you do a funeral, we actually do an entombment where a person actually goes into the grave. Uh, you take a handful of dirt and you put it on him and you say this again, from dust you are and dust you will return. And uh, so we are made of dust and and we all go back to dust. And that's a horrible thought to uh, to leave this Bible study on, but I will tell you this. This, uh, We may go back to dust, but we'll be raised again on the last day because of Jesus and his love for us and his grace for us and uh, his sacrifice for us that makes us ever in the kingdom of God, which has already started for us. We're in the kingdom and the grave is not uh, permanent for us. The grave is just a temporary existence for us until the final resurrection. And so um, we come to the end of Genesis chapter three. There's two more little things I got to talk about and we didn't get to them today. So I'll talk about them tomorrow and then we'll go to Genesis four. Uh, thank you for joining me today. Uh, really appreciate it. I hope that you're having a wonderful day today. Uh, God's richest blessings as, uh, as we close in prayer. Dear God, um, the curses you gave, um, Lord, they still ring true for us today and they still are painful for us today. But the, the greatest curse is that of death, and that curse has no sting because of your son Jesus and his incredible love for us. Be with us today. Walk with us today. Be with our church and our community. Uh, just continue to be with us in this time. In, in your son's name we pray.